0: plus.
2: Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I'm Tim, here today with Lance. What's going on, Lance?
0: Doing so well. How are you today, Tim? I'm
2: doing great, Lance. I'm doing especially well today because we get to speak to Laura Wrist again. Now, this is episode three in our coverage on Trenny Gibson's disappearance, so you should probably check out the first two before you listen to this. But we are going to be doing a couple more, I would say, as well, with this wonderful guest, Laura Rist. She runs a blog on Trenny Gibson's disappearance. It's called canadiangirl77.com.
0: That's correct. Uh, That's Canadian Girl, and you spell girl with the U, not the I. uh, 77. If anybody wants any information on the disappearance of Trenny Gibson, go there and listen to these episodes that she's done with us. She has compiled the information on Trenny Gibson better than I'd say she's in like the top two or three people that we've ever spoken to who's not official law enforcement putting together a case on her own. Uh, she's got an amazing blog post on investigationsforthemissing.org. Check out what she wrote there. She has an account of when she first heard about Trenny Gibson's disappearance, how she had what you might think was like a uh, maybe a, a panic attack mixed with a little. Um, Spiritualism. She she heard a voice about you know needing help. She saw Trini's eyes and she laid on the floor to compose herself. She went down to the floor to compose herself and finally got herself up. Never had a moment like this happen since. And she's she's a professional woman. She's a professional chef. You know, I don't want to make her out to be someone who thinks that they're an empath or something like that. She's she has a career. She's has a a marriage. And by all accounts, this is something so unusual for her to happen. She's never asked for it to happen. Before or and it's never happened since,
2: right? And uh, and she explains that moment um in the episode, so uh, so you can hear her in her own words describe that because yeah,
0: you should probably just listen to to what I said and not <laughs> listen to the episode. I just realized I I summed it all up for everybody. Well, there's still some meat on the bone left there,
2: Lance, and uh, it's a good tease actually. You kind of nailed it. it w- what is that moment? Um, you know she doesn't really know, but I-, I would just chalk it up to inspiration at this point because she's been looking into the case for seventeen years. And so she's here and this is the second time now we've had her on Missing Maura Murray and we're going to follow it up with another episode at least one or two more I would say at least because she is a wealth of knowledge and has emailed us responses from Trenny's mom and has really several interviews with some of the classmates from uh, Trenny's from the field trip where Trenny went missing so we're going to be talking about this story for a little bit longer.
0: Yeah. Wonderful woman. Definitely recommend uh, listening to this. And if anybody has any questions about Trini's uh, disappearance or if they have any information and they want to communicate that with Laura, let us know and we can bring that to her attention.
2: But before we play the interview with Laura, on this date, May 28th, 1971, Claude and Martha Sue Shelton vanished from Corbin, Kentucky.
0: Claude was 5 foot 6 inches, 170 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. Sue was 5 foot two inches to about 5 foot four inches, 125 to 135 pounds. She had light brown hair with highlights and blue eyes. She was wearing her wedding ring and a braided silver ring set with a blue stone.
2: Claude was 37 years old, and Sue was 27 years old. They put their three children in their home in Jerry's Trailer Park on 18th Street. The couple left the trailer park in their white 1967 Ford Galaxy 500 Kentucky license plate number 937944. And they may have been heading to King's Truck Stop five miles away, according to one of their children, who overheard the couple talking before she fell asleep. Claude and Martha were never seen or heard from again.
0: Wow. Anyone with information should contact the Kentucky State Police at 606 878 And for further reference, you can check out the charlieproject.org slash case slash Claude dash Shelton.
2: And make sure to follow PIs for the Missing on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and check in on their blog once in a while. It's really great work. Okay, everybody, thanks a lot for listening. Hope you enjoy the interview with Laura. We are being joined now by Laura Rist. Laura, how are you today?
1: I'm fine, thank you. How are you?
0: Great we are doing excellent um thank you for joining us on this holiday
1: Oh, thank you for having me and it's international missing persons day today
0: that was the holiday i was talking about
1: <laughs> as well as memorial day
0: yes
2: well laura we wanted to uh to start this conversation by kind of going over um the way that you found out about trenny's case again and, uh, and there, there's a great blog post on the Private Investigations for the Missing website at investigationsforthemissing.org, where you wrote about um, kind of this incredible moment.
1: Right. Uh, that'll be 17 years ago next month. Um, but the moment that I found Trenny, uh, the day I found Trenny's uh, case on the Doe Network, was literally a, a week after I was um, connected to the Internet. Um, a workmate had told me to check out the Doe Network. They figured it was something that I'd be interested in. I was always reading about true crime books and interested in missing persons and and whatever. So uh, that's kind of what I had planned for that that Sunday afternoon, that June day in 2003. I was going to check out the Doe Network and catch up on a little undone housework. And that's when I stumbled across Trenny's story and never looked back.
0: There's a uh, picture here on the blog post that shows your research room with a calendar yes. from 1976, and uh, you' mentioned that in the uh, previous interview. Uh, when At what point did you uh, commit both to yourself and to Trenny, that this was going to be a life goal for you? Was there something instrumental that happened?
1: Uh, from that day forward in 2003, that June day that I found, I found Trenny's case, I knew that I, I needed to help her. It was, it was something that I, I needed to do. Uh, I didn't really know why exactly, but I, it was just within me that I, I needed to not question it. It was just something I needed to go ahead and do. So from that day on, I tried to find out all I possibly could about her case. But like I said in the interview last week, in 2003, there was very little about Trenny on the Internet. My best uh, uh, research tool at the time was a subscription to newspapers.com, where I started going through the newspaper articles of the time when she vanished, the search that followed. Uh, articles about her family, and so on and so forth. That was my best research tool at that time. Then in 2003, uh, Amazon was also uh, also available, and there was a book called Unsolved Disappearances in the Great Smoky Mountains by Juanita Baldwin and Esther Grubb. They're fairly local to the area in the Smokies, and they published a book, and there are several pages devoted to Tranny's case. So I sent for that book from Amazon and and read it. But really, that's all there was, was the book, newspapers.com. And there was one site on the internet that had Trenny's case lumped in with the case of Dennis Martin that vanished in 1969, and Pauline Melton that vanished in 1981. And they they vanished from the Smokies as well, just different areas from where Trenny disappeared.
2: But... Laura, you're, you're skipping a part, <laughs> and uh, you, you wrote it here on the blog. It knocked you to the floor. You, you heard a voice?
1: It did. it did. I didn't hear a voice. <laughs> I just I, I felt a crushing pain in my chest and on the back of my neck, and I, I literally dropped to the floor. Um, once I had clicked on the Doe Network, the initial picture of Trenny, Because the way the Doe Network used to be set up was you'd get um, probably about 20 cases, and you could scroll through them, and you could see the person's picture, and it would just say the person's name, the date they went missing, and from what what state or province thereof. And I first saw Tranny's picture, and I thought, oh, that's a cute girl, you know, pretty long brown hair. And I thought, I, I don't know of this case, and it just said Trenny Lynn Gibson, missing October 8, 1976 from uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So I clicked on it, and when Trenny's uh, full-size picture came up on the Doe Network, when it loaded, because remember, I was on dial-up in those days, so it took a few minutes, when the picture loaded, her Eyes met mine, and that's when I felt the crushing pain in my chest. I felt like I had a, a pain in the back, like back of my neck, uh, and I fell to the floor. I sank to the floor and I laid there for a few minutes. I was home alone, and I could hear the clock ticking. I had a pot boiling over on the stove, and I could hear my cat meowing, and I, I couldn't get my breath. I didn't know what was happening to me. I was perspiring, and I just laid there for a few minutes, and gradually I started to feel a bit better. Then I was able to climb back into my chair and sit there, and I looked at her face again, and then I scrolled down to read like her case um her case report, uh, the stats of her case, what time she went missing, and so on. and all I could think of is how in the world was this not solved? And then I thought, how in the world can, could they not tell that what happened to Trenny, she, she had to have known the person. She knew them. I, I know she knew them. It wasn't like this was a stranger abduction. It wasn't like she wandered off somewhere and got lost in the, in the woods. You know, she knew the person that did this to her. And how couldn't anyone have solved this? You know she's she's still missing, and and there's no reason for this case not to be solved. And I was sitting there, and I was just shaking. And it it wasn't like um, I was shaking with uh, with fear. I was shaking because I was I was angry. Um, I didn't understand. You know why is this girl still missing? Why is her case so op- still open? It should have been it should have been a- a shut years ago. I was I was just so upset. Like I it it took me probably an hour to two hours to calm down. Um, In in retrospect, in a way, I was glad I was home by myself when this was happening. Uh, My spouse probably would have thought, you know, that I I should be taken by ambulance to the the nearest hospital.
0: (laughs) Has this ever happened since then?
1: No, never, never.
2: That's an incredible reaction. You know, we talk to a lot of people um, about this kind of stuff. Few of them have their facts uh, like you do, Um, but a lot of them are inspired to do what they do, and inspiration comes from a lot of different places. And for you to have been doing this for 17 years tells me that that absolutely happened as you say it, and uh, it was so strong to keep you going all these years later.
1: Well, yes, and I, I just felt that I, this was something that I, I needed to do. And I'm not a terribly um, spiritual person. I do have some religion in my background, but I'm more of a non-practicing uh, type of person. But to me, it was, it's something that I'm supposed to do. And I, I feel that, and it's ingrained in me. It's something that I, I'm supposed to do, and it's a journey that I'm supposed to be on. And I wouldn't be on it if it was something that was impossible. If it was impossible, then it would be unfair then for somebody to have to try to, to figure out what happened. But I, I believe there is an answer to what happened to Trenny that day. And it, uh, this case is solvable. Yes, it's something that should have been solved nearly 44 years ago. But, you know, we, we, didn't, uh, we didn't see that resolution at that time.
0: When you had this reaction in June of 2003, after seeing her face and looking in her eyes and and thinking, uh, you know, she knew the person that was responsible and you decided that you were going to help her uh, find the justice she deserves, you said you sat down for for a couple of hours and and gathered yourself what what was going through your mind then were you formu- formulating a plan then
1: it took me that long to, to calm down but but i was thinking my my brain goes constantly and while i was calming down my brain was going and i was thinking okay you know sister <laughs> what do you what do you uh, intend that i you do about this you know like uh you're 2,200 miles from the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. You know how do you think that we're gonna um, we're gonna uh, solve Trenny's case? And I thought, well, you know, uh, the first thing that I need to do is I need to find out all I can about this. Um, I need to find out all I can about her case. Maybe start talking to people that were on the field trip if I can track them down. If I can track down Trenny's family, if they'll talk to me, you know, I, and kind of the more I sat and started planning rationally, then the calmer I started to, to get because I, I was putting a plan in place for what, what I was going to do to, you know, try to help this girl.
0: Have you always been so, uh, organized because, When we've been doing this over the course of however many years, we've encountered a lot of uh, citizen detectives and they really run the gamut of being very unorganized to the point of reckless to you. You were on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, Did you learn your organizational skills from this or did you apply your organizational skills to this?
1: I applied my organizational skills to this. I've always been a very, very organized person. Everything has to have a certain place. Um, I'm very, I like to keep um, dates. I I like to write things down. Like if you talk to my husband, you'll know that I love pens. I love highlighters and I like little pieces of paper. But I, I write everything down. I document everything. On such and such a day, I talk to this person at such and such a time. You know, I'm, I'm nowhere near perfect. I make mistakes. You know, I'll ask some people the same questions, questions I've asked them once already. You know, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I always did have good, good organizational skills. And the kind of career that I, I'm in, I'm a chef. Uh, that applies to the kitchen as well. My kitchen has to be very, very well organized. I think it's just a case of I was already an organized person, but in undertaking this research with Trenny's case was I was just able to apply uh, that, that organizational skill to, to Trenny's case. And I've learned things like along the way, you know, that, you know, I've got to improve on this area or whatever. Or I have to do this a different way. And I've just applied that along along the way.
2: Very good. Well, uh, we are impressed. Color us impressed.
1: Well, I, it's been 17 years. You know, you do something for 17 years, you're bound to iron at least some of the wrinkles out of it. So <laughs> you can look at it that way.
0: Tim, right. we only have another dozen or so more years. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: uh, yeah. So let's jump into the task at hand
0: here. You sent us an email
2: uh, from... And it was in Hope Gibson's words, Hope being Trenny's mom.
1: Yes, yes. Yes, uh, when I spoke to Hope, I had asked her because I I wanted to know if they had a a timeline with how approximately how long it would take for somebody to get from Andrew's ball to the place Trenny went missing, the, the trail she stepped off of, and if they could go through the woods at that point. And then that's when she had told me about her brothers had had done a lot of research, had gone through the woods, back circled around, and and timed it all out. They had also brought their dogs um, because their dogs were part of the group that did um, some scent tracking for Trenny, and her uncle's dogs had the same. Uh, result as the, uh, as the tracking dogs.
2: Okay. And so she wrote that, uh, her brothers timed it out walking from Andrew's mm-hmm. bald, uh, circle and back to the vanishing point, then dome and exit. There was exactly enough time for him to do his dirty work and to get back to the bus area without being noticed. So yes. exact ex- when she says exactly enough time, that was right around what we were kind of talking about last time was maybe 40 minutes ish.
1: 30 to 40 minutes, but I I believe that the the, um, field trip always suffered from what I call the tainted timeline, where it was impossible to exactly pinpoint what time it was when Trenny disappeared. And it is also hard to say exactly what time she left Robert Simpson when she separated from him at the bold, and he stayed behind and she walked on ahead. He said it was in the neighborhood of one thirty, one forty in the afternoon.
2: Oh, but he's the 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 person who gives that information.
1: Yes, uh, ah. he did. Uh, he did do a statement. He did file a statement, um, and I can actually, uh, if you like, I can find it right here. If you'd like, um, like me sure. to read it,
0: that would be great.
1: So this is um, Robert Simpson's statement. Robert Simpson had spent more time on the trip with Trenny than anyone else. The next day, he was asked to write down everything he could remember about the date Trenny disappeared. This is what he wrote. October 9th, 1976. So this is the day after. On the way up to the mountains, I sat with Trenny, and we would crack a few jokes, and she seemed to be in a good mood. When we got to the trail going to Andrews Bald, we sat down and ate. I don't think she was meaning to take off anywhere because she gave me part of her sandwich. When I started down the trail to Andrews Bald, I asked her if she was going to come with me, then she started down the trail. We hiked about a mile, then stopped for a rest. She was breathing kind of hard, so we sat down for five minutes. When we reached the Andrews Bald, she was still in good spirits, so we looked around a little bit, then got under a tree when it started raining. By the time everyone else got there, she was rested up and ready to start back. She asked me if I was going with the group back to the bus, and I said I was going to stay around a little longer. She said goodbye, and that was the last I saw of her. When I got back to the bus, I saw she was gone, and so did some of the others. So we started asking some of the people that she was with, and they said that they stopped to rest, but she kept on going. Plus, they said that the trail went to the left, but she went to the right, and nobody has seen her since. The last time I saw Trenny, I was at Andrew's Bald. We reached the Bald at about 1.30.
0: This is uh, his official statement to police? Yes. Interesting.
1: Okay. There was a student that was found to have some injuries um, in the time after Trenny disappeared. I cannot elaborate on what kind of injuries they had. Who it was, so on and, and so forth, the, uh, the Gibsons did find out about it, and they did mention it to the police that that needed to be looked into, as well as how uh, Robert Simpson had come to have Trenny's uh, comb in his car, and they had also told the police about the jewelry. Then again, some of the students that were on the field trip that day came to Mr. Gibson, and told Mr. Gibson that the bus was followed to the park, and Calvin Bowman was the person in the vehicle that was following the bus. And Mr. Gibson told this to the police as well, and as far as we can tell, very little was done about it. Uh, Mr. Hall, who was the principal of Bearden High at the time, he said that Calvin Bowman was at school that day, and Mr. Dunlap, The teacher that was on the field trip that was riding on the school bus with the students claimed that they were not followed. I I don't know how he could be that certain unless he was literally watching behind the bus. But he said they were not followed, and he said that nobody else knew where they were going. But, I mean, if somebody wanted to follow the bus, they're going to follow the bus. And wherever the bus stops, well, you know, then that's where uh, where they're going to stop. It is worth noting that the school bus stopped and parked in that Klingman's Dome parking lot. It is possible if the bus was followed that the person following the bus parked their vehicle in that parking lot that's kind of for overflow par- parking in Collins Gap. Because it would be silly to park with the school bus if they're there for, you know, undercover or something like that. And they don't want anyone to really notice that they're there. It would make more sense for them to park in overflow parking.
2: Okay, and uh, so you you mentioned Kelvin Bowman, and uh, there is some history there with Kelvin Bowman. Can you uh, explain a little bit about this uh, fella?
1: Well, it's a rather long story here, but uh, Kelvin Bowman, he uh, was known as Keg or Kagan. Um, He was an African-American youth, and he was about a year older than Trenny. And uh, he had several siblings, and he was from a large family. And the area of Knoxville that he lived in at the time was about two to two and a half miles from where Trenny lived in, on uh, White Tower Drive. Um, Calvin was quite uh, skilled in sports. He played baseball and basketball as a youth. He was, he was talented enough where if he pursued it, he might have gotten a scholarship to, to college. Uh, His dad also coached uh, basketball at times. Uh, Calvin, he had a large family, and and basically it was hard times growing up. The family was rather poor. And when he was uh, in high school, he was a partier. Uh, He was always looking for fun and action, and he was kind of a a funny kid. He always had a a one-liner or a a wisecrack. And he hung around with a group of older kids, and they were rather a bad influence on him, and got him into trouble. From what I understand, he was a gateway drug person, but more indirectly so. He mostly would would hook you up if you wanted something, and he'd just do that for beer money, really. So he and trendy were friends uh, before the break-in. Um, there was there didn't seem to be any animosity between them, or or anything, and. Trenny was also known to be friendly at school with Calvin's uh, sister, Annette. Calvin did have behavioral issues at school, and he did spend quite a bit of time in the principal's office uh, getting reprimanded and, uh, and so on and so forth for, uh, for whatever uh, trouble he was in. So the night of the break-in, the break-in happened on Saturday, October eleventh, 1975. So nearly a year to the day that Trenny vanished. Hope Gibson was alone with Trenny, uh, Tina, and Miracle uh, one night. Her husband was away on business, and Bob Gibson, Trenny's older brother, he wasn't home either. So late at night, Hope Gibson uh, was awakened because she heard somebody calling and carrying on outside, and they were calling for Bob. And she looked outside the window to see Calvin Bowman, who was very, very drunk, outside on the lawn. And she kind of just was keeping an eye out because Hope was the one home and it was up to her to protect her her household. Uh, Calvin Bowman then kind of headed over for a planter box. And this planter box was outside Trenny's bedroom window. And he kind of hunkered down by this, this planter box. So Hope got concerned when she saw that, and she went and got her pistol out and went into the bathroom, and when Calvin stuck out his foot from this planter box, uh, Hope shot him in it. And now this is where things start to get kind of strange. Calvin Bowman had broken Trenny's window, and he was trying to drag Trenny out through her broken bedroom window. Calvin gained access to Trenny's bedroom. Now, this is after he's been he's been shot and gets inside Trenny's room. Trenny goes running down the hall to find her mother. Hope was coming down the stairs because she said whoever was breaking in her house, they weren't going to leave it alive, basically. And Calvin came out of Trenny's room and he had his hands raised, don't shoot, don't shoot, and he was asking for mercy. And Hope said she just sort of... Uh, hesitated for a moment and she realized how drunk he was and she took into account that you know he was some mother's son so she she uh, decided not to uh not to pursue the um the shooting angle any, any further so the police were called and the, the gibsons had him had him charged and uh, when Calvin went to court, he was in court, of course, on crutches because he'd taken a bullet to his foot. He made remarks that when he was going to be back, he was going to be back and he was going to harm Trenny and or the Gibsons when, when he got out. You know, this wasn't going to be the, the last, of, uh, last of Calvin Bowman by any means kind of thing. And it was also there was also a rumor that Calvin had another youth with him at the time of the break in. But Hope said that if if Calvin did have anyone with him, they probably had a healthy sense of self-preservation and they took off when they heard the gunshot or the person was acting as a lookout and was maybe down the down the street. But she only remembered seeing Calvin Bowman, nobody else.
0: And this happened almost a year to the day before Trenny's disappearance.
1: Yes, October 11th, 1975, and Trenny went missing October 8th, one year later.
0: That's that's a terrifying story. Trenny was, um, so how old would, would Trenny have been at that time? 15?
1: She was 15 when this happened.
0: That is a terrifying thing to happen to a 15-year-old girl.
1: And when Calvin, I should also add, too, and I mean no disrespect by saying this, but when Calvin was trying to drag her outside, he was hollering outside Give me some pussy.
2: Wow. Jesus, okay. And then he vowed revenge.
1: He vowed revenge in court. He said, you know I'll be back, I'll be back. He was kind of um, saying through clenched teeth and hope was in the courtroom and she she could hear him say this.
2: Jesus and uh, and so he I don't you know he, he ended up having uh, like a sexual assault conviction. is that is that accurate later in his life?
1: Yes, in 1979, he was convicted of rape and assault. He followed lay home and wanted to come into her apartment on the pretense of just wanting a glass of water, so she she let him in to have the the glass of water, and he proceeded to knock her down on the couch and rape her. And he was tried and convicted and, and sentenced.
2: Wow.
0: And he's currently in jail now? What's his uh, status?
1: No. No, uh Calvin isn't in jail. He has been in trouble with the law since 1979, since he was released from, from jail for the rape and assault case, but mainly misdemeanor things like driving under the influence, driving without a license, driving with expired tags, you know, misdemeanor type of, type of things.
0: Gotcha. And did they have any um, relationship? You said that they knew each other and they were friendly at school before and he was friendly with her sister?
1: They knew each other and were friendly at school. There seemed to be no animosity, no no trouble between them. And Trenny was friendly with Calvin's sister, Annette, um, also. They were the same age at school as well.
2: And wh- so what's the story about him uh, potentially being in a car following the bus? Is Who was who that uh, said by?
1: Calvin Bowman, he was sentenced to two years in a correctional institute um, in 1975 after this break-in. But he served less than six months, so he was back at Bearden, and he was giving Trenny a hard time, Mrs. Gibson told me. He was heckling her and and giving her a hard time on a daily basis once he was back at, at Bearden. He wasn't part of the horticulture class, and he wasn't on the field trip by bus it was several of the students that, that contacted Mr. Gibson and said that he had followed the school bus to the park.
0: Huh? Are you um, of the opinion that these are the same students that might have had some injuries on them or maybe had witnessed something?
1: No, no. The, these students that I, I spoke to, they, they seem to not really know what happened that day. They're more of the mind they they don't they don't have an opinion one way or the other but they they did claim that that Calvin was seen following the school bus by vehicle and they thought that Mr Gibson should definitely look into why that why that was if that was related to Trenny's disappearance or not. Some of the other students tended to more to have the opinion that Calvin Bowman was exactly where Calvin Bowman said he was on October 8, 1976, which was he was at school all day. But in interviewing several Bearden alumni, they told me that Bearden wasn't a a school that was known for taking attendance religiously. They told me that as long as you showed up for homeroom, you could pretty much take off for the rest of the day and nobody would be the wiser. If you were in a college credit course, Then attendance was taken rigorously because your grade, of course, depended on you being there every day.
0: How would he know about the field trip?
1: Well, in speaking to the the people that were on the field trip that attended, about half of them claimed that they didn't know where they were going that day. They were just going on a field trip and they knew they'd be gone for the entire school day. That's all they knew. In talking to the other group, they seemed to know that they were heading to the Smokies. So I think that it's folklore that everybody was completely in the dark about where they were going that day. I think some of the students knew and some of them had no idea. Mr. Dunlap, who was the uh, supervising teacher on the trip that day, he had a reputation for hanging out after school and on weekends with some of his students. They'd go fishing together on outdoor outdoor, outings together perhaps he let it slip to a couple of them that they were going to be working or going to be at the smokies on that october day perhaps somebody's parent worked at the school and found out through the school that that's where the kids were going i don't know but i think it's fair to say that some of the students did know they were going to the smokies
2: and does anyone who was on that trip that day say that they saw kelvin following the bus or that's just from students at school?
1: No one has admitted to seeing Calvin Bowman. Okay. To be fair, Trenny was terrified of him. If she saw Calvin Bowman, she would have hightailed it to that bus so fast that it would have made your head spin. Or if she had gotten wind that Calvin Bowman was following the school bus, she never would have gotten off of the bus.
0: Right. That's kind of what was going through my head there. Uh, she must have been very vocal about uh, the situation between her and Calvin, right?
1: To a point, Tranny wasn't really very vocal about things because she didn't really hang out with a certain group of, of students. She kind of kept to herself, but her mother knew about it, and so did her older brother, Bob, that that she was being heckled at school by Calvin Bowman.
0: And Simpson was put in charge of sort of staying with her by her brother. yes. And you think that if uh, Kelvin was following the bus and Trenny saw, then Simpson would have known that as well. He never brought that up, did he?
1: No, he didn't. Um, what, what he brought up was Robert Simpson was at the Gibson household uh, when uh, the search was on for Trenny and her folks were staying in Gatlinburg while they were searching the park. Tina Gibson remained at home. That was Trenny's younger sister. And I believe their grandmother was kind of keeping an eye on the house and getting the kids off to school. Tina and her younger brother, Miracle, were still at at home. And Robert Simpson came by the house one day while the Gibsons were searching for Trenny in uh, in the park and made a very strange comment to Tina. He told Tina that if Calvin Bowman had Trenny, he would kill her. And he said, if Calvin Bowman doesn't have Trenny, then I think she ran off with some horny hitchhiker.
2: Yeah, it doesn't uh, doesn't feel right there. Um, we, were Simpson and Calvin Bowman friends?
1: They, they were acquaintances of each other. They knew each other, yes. And Calvin Bowman also knew Bob Gibson really well. That was apparently who he was calling for the night that he was uh, breaking into the Gibsons' house was initially he was calling for Bob Gibson.
0: Interesting.
2: Yeah. So it, do, do the Gibsons believe that uh, Kelvin is involved here?
1: Yes. They, they believe Kelvin is involved, and they also believe that Robert Simpson is involved. And if Robert Simpson isn't directly involved, they believe that he knows far more than he's telling. But they tend more to believe that he was he was directly involved.
0: Right. Interesting. They tend to believe more that Simpson was directly involved or indirectly involved?
1: They believe that both of them were involved, Calvin Bowman and, yeah. and Robert Simpson.
0: Interesting. What was, I'm just out of curiosity, what was the, I guess, the, the breakdown of, of white to black students at that school?
1: There were very few black students. As you can imagine, as part of my research, I have most of the yearbooks um, I have yearbooks from 1974 through the early 80s from Bearden High. There were very few black students in, in Bearden. You can literally pick them out of the of the classes, like the, the sophomore, junior, and senior year. There's a handful in each class. And Bearden was a large school. Oh, how big? Se- several thousand students, I believe.
0: Do you think that race played any role in this at
1: all? I have been uh, looking at that angle, yes, that, that it could possibly be racial motivated, could be drug motivated. I've, I've looked at all, all kinds of uh, different angles as to what would, would provoke this and, and what the motive would be behind it. Why, why would they, this sort of thing happen? There'd have to be a motive. There'd have to be a reason. And if there's more than one person involved, what's motivating them? What's the reason why they're they're involved in this?
2: Yeah, yeah. Because re- revenge from Kelvin Bowman sounds reasonable, even though it's not like Trenny did anything to him. Um, but you know, he was taunting her at school, so there could be some anger yes. still there directed towards Trenny. But it doesn't sound like Simpson would have had much of a motive.
1: He would have had a sexual motive. If you look at it that way, if he was promised perhaps something sexually, sex is a great motive. Revenge, sex and money are three of the biggest ones.
0: Yeah. So it also would um, explain how her body could be disposed of successfully with two people as opposed to one.
1: Well, to me, whoever disposed of Trenny, perhaps they had to hide her somewhere in the, in the very early stages, but they, they needed a car. And to me, they needed more than one person. So whether it was a one-person thing, maybe it was an accident, they didn't mean for it to go as far as they did, but Trenny passed away, then they still need help. They're going to need somebody to help them. So there, there had to have been at least two people involved.
2: And do you know anything about Simpson and Bowman's relationship after uh, Trenny went missing?
1: I think the relationship was pretty much the same as it was before. I don't think they were necessarily close buddies. From what I can ascertain they were they were more acquaintances of one another.
2: Okay. But no, no fight. Like nothing crazy changed after that. No, No I no.
1: There's been nothing about nothing about fighting. Any anything about that that I could I could uh, find from anyone. Basically, just whispered about. You know what happened to Trenny? Maybe she ran away. She wasn't happy and she just ran away. She just disappeared. It was kind of like they let just let it go at that. Let just let it go where you know. They either didn't know what happened to her, it wasn't worth speculating, and just let everyone think she just ran away. And that was a common theme in those days.
0: Yeah. Do you think that maybe Simpson was uh, fearing for his life? Because it seems to me that he probably could have, if there, were, if something went wrong and they were together, he could have really thrown Kelvin under the bus, no, no pun intended. He, he really could have uh, just said, hey, I... I came up on the two of them he was attacking her I tried to save her he ended up killing her you know especially when bowman went to jail three years later
1: if the two of them were working together there's a reason why one doesn't want to snitch on the other there's there's something there it's part of the motive or what the reason was behind this because nobody likes a snitch i don't think necessarily that it was an accident that one was doing it and one came up on, upon them or whatever, and that's the reason why they don't want to say anything. I think it's more they, they each had an equal hand in it. And, and one doesn't want to say anything against the other. But Simpson also knew that his father would protect him. And if the Gibsons wanted to retaliate or harm him, well, everybody was going to know who did it, right? So that's why it kind of just, uh, it kind of just dropped. Well, that's
0: even more infuriating. I can see why, you know, this case really uh, gets under your skin and grinds your gears when you think about it because it's a young woman and it's like, so you just, you know, no one likes a snitch and uh, Robert Simpson knows that his dad will help him.
1: The problem with Robert Simpson, what bothers me about his, his role in all this is why he kept talking. Why he just didn't butt out because he kept, getting an involved i think in the beginning when you did your first episode of this jen had told you how he was coming over to the gibsons house while they were away and they were he was screening their phone calls you know that that raised alarm bells for me why would anybody do that even a really close good friend wh- why would you do that then he yeah. he also started butting in like he had the comb and everything else and then trenny's jewelry shows up So, of course, the Gibsons were upset about that. And then all of a sudden now, Robert Gibson is there with another explanation. He claimed that Trenny slipped it off in the washroom at the park and gave it to a fellow student to hold for her. But this student that supposedly Trenny had given the jewelry to was not the same one that was found to have it later. But why would he butt in and and say that? Like He always seemed to have an explanation for things like why the comb showed up, why the jewelry showed up, so on and so forth. He always seems to be be right where he needs to be, and that's that's one of the things that infuriates me. If he's not involved in this, why is he always there with an explanation?
0: Yeah, and I think I, I, I was actually kind of hoping I wasn't going to get creeped out again by this, but once again, this story uh, really kind of creeps me out because— these are kids. Like, how did they pull this off? And and they took her jewelry, too? And I, was there no regard for her life?
1: And the, the thing was, it's basically it all boils down to, and I, I work on this daily, is trying to find out what the motive was, why, why this happened, what was the motivation, what happened in, in the background to lead things up this, as, and lead them as, as far away awry as, as they did
2: was kelvin was he a part of the senior class
1: yes he w- he graduated in 1977 he was uh, a member of the senior class yes
2: w- was the senior class a bit more uh i don't know if suspicious is the right word but a little bit off-putting on, on yes. that yes yeah yes okay and uh and simpson was also a senior
1: yes he was the members of the senior class that I have been able to interview that will talk to me seem to be holding something back.
0: Is, is that what you meant by off-putting, Tim? Yeah. Why, why do you think that they're holding something back? I remember you were saying this before.
1: They're amongst the groups of students that if you start asking too many questions, they either want to stop talking or they'll start threatening. That you need to leave this alone or, you know, something not so nice is going to, to happen to you. They told Tina Gibson, if you don't leave this alone, the same thing that happened to you is going to happen to your sister. And it's like, whoa, guys, like you, you're amongst the group that will say that Trenny just ran away. So if Trenny just ran away, what is there to threaten anybody about, really? Yeah. She wasn't happy so she she ran away. There's nothing, you know, to threaten anybody about. You know, why do you want to rub me out all of a sudden? Because I'm asking you a few questions about Trenny Lynn Gibson. You know, there's (laughs) nothing to get defensive about, really. She she just ran away, is there?
0: Yeah, I'm trying to put myself in that position. If someone um, I knew when I was in school went missing on a field trip and then a few years later somebody is contacting me about it or even the family member is contacting me about it like trying to see if i remembered anything i mean i would feel bad if i didn't give them an answer if i didn't remember you know i would never i don't think it would occur to me to be annoyed by that
1: well i have a a friend that helps me and he's local to the knoxville area and he's very instrumental in helping when i need maps read um, have questions about the area, the layout of the of the park, that, that sort of thing. He's always willing to go above and beyond and, and assist me. And he is two years younger than Trenny, and he is, like I said, from the area. And he went to uh, school in Kingsport, Tennessee. And they're about nine, 90 miles from, from Knoxville, give or take. And the school that he went to is called Dobbins-Bennett, and they were rivals of, of Bearden in track and other sports. And he remembers when Trenny went missing. It was on the news in the newspaper, and his parents were talking about it, that poor girl that went missing in the Smoky Mountains that went on that field trip. And it always sort of didn't sit well with him that they never found her. It always really uh, gave him the creeps, you know, that he, they, they never did find Trenny. So about a month after Trenny went missing, as the way it went, he was at a basketball game at Bearden High in Knoxville. And there was a girl standing sort of off by herself, so he went over and just made some small talk with her, and she was a student at Bearden, and they were watching the the game. And he made mention, oh, you know, um, that student that went to school here, Trenny Gibson. He said, uh, did they ever find her? And he said, this girl just gave him the strangest look. He said it just kind of chilled him to the bone. She gave him this strange look and said, she was dead half an hour after she disappeared. And then she smiled a little half smile, and then she walked away from him. What? Yes. In those days, you know, late, late 1970s, mid to late 1970s, of course, there was no, no internet, anything like that. There was no outlets, anything. It, it just shook him to the to the core, but there wasn't anything that he could do about it. Uh, he talked with his parents about it, what this girl had said at the, at the basketball game, and his parents were always of the mind that Trenny met with some kind of foul play, but they didn't really know what happened exactly. But they didn't think that she was lost. They thought that something happened and she was taken out of the, out of the park. So he let this sort of just, just ride, uh, feeling a little better after he talked to his folks about it. He didn't hear much about Trenny, and of course she hadn't been found. And then in the early 80s, he was attending East Tennessee State University in Johnson City. And he met this group of three girls, and they had also attended Bearden, but they were the same age as he was. So they attended Bearden, but a couple years after Trenny had had vanished, they started chatting and and whatnot between classes and at lunchtime and, and got to know each other. And then once these girls got to know him, they started telling him things that they were hearing at Bearden and telling him things like, Trenny was hurt by her friends on the trip. Somebody did something to her. They took her deep into the woods and buried her and, and so on and so forth. And they were always telling him that he could never ever say that they heard this stuff from them. They'd get in trouble and they, he had to keep it secret and everything else. These girls, were were they, they were very scared that somebody was going to hurt them. But who the somebody was, they wouldn't, they wouldn't say. And this one girl was, was very quiet. But as she got to know this fellow, and I'll call him Jim, she started to open up a little more and, and talk to him. And she started telling him that, that she had heard that Trenny was up on Mellinger Death Ridge, that that's where they took her to, to rest. After, after she, she was killed, they took her to Mellinger and laid her to rest there. It was somewhere that was out of, out of the search area. And this girl, too, was very, very fearful. She told Jim over and over, you can't ever tell anybody I told you this because harm is going to come to me and you have to keep this quiet. I just told you because I, I needed to tell somebody I needed to get it off my chest kind of thing. So of course, this sat with Jim for many years, but of course, you know, in those days, there wasn't anything you could really do, um, aside from you could tell the authorities, but you couldn't read up more about the case, unless you went to the library and looked through the microfilm, all the old newspaper articles. So there was really nothing Jim could do until he found me after I got started and started um, posting about Tranny and her story on web sleuths and the crime forum that i was uh a member of
0: sorry where was the area that he said he was told they took her and laid her to rest
1: it's called mellinger death ridge and it's named after joseph mellinger he was a settler in the area years ago and he met a really grisly untimely death he was caught in a bear trap
2: oh god yeah. wow yeah that sounds painful if
1: you google mellinger you, you can find it.
2: Um, wow. So that's incredible. Here we are again, Laura, uh, nearing the end of our interview. And you, uh, you for, only ju- just introduced this, uh, this character that uh, I was not expecting to hear about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and how did 50 minutes go by? I know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But
1: it, it affected him all his life, and it affects him to this day. And, and he believed that Trenny met with foul play, and likely she knew who, who harmed her that day. So he was kind of of the same mind that I was. And then when I started doing some posting on the crime forum and doing a little on web sleuths, he thought, I got to find this person because I got to tell her what what I I was told in the uh, 1970s at Bearden High and in the early 80s at East Tennessee State University in Johnson City.
0: I'm looking on a map right now, and I'm trying to gauge how far away uh Klingman's dome is from uh mellinger's death ridge how about how far away was that
1: it's quite it's quite a distance and it was out of the search area, but it is quite a distance from there. It's a very rough rocky place there's snakes there the The terrain isn't good at all like it's a great place to break an ankle
0: a- any thoughts of like how they would have gotten
1: her there? They would have had to take her by four wheel drive vehicle jeep or or thereabouts we've also been told that she was taken deep into the woods by jeep and buried into the buried in the woods so possibly off an old jeep trail the the smokies are full of them the parks full of old jeep trails the the best tool is a map of the of the park from the 1970s it'll show you all the trails some of them don't exist anymore one of the thoughts that that's where she was taken that was where this one girl was told that the trendy came to rest but really it's an enormous park she could be anywhere
2: who who told her that
1: a stu another student at bearden another okay another student at bearden but she she said that she was afraid and and that the gym could never tell anyone that that he was told by her because harm would come to her we don't know who the 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 person that's going to inflict the harm necessarily is we, we call the person Big Brother. Uh,
0: one more quick question from me. What kind of car did uh, Calvin drive?
1: I have not been able to ascertain that Calvin Bowman even had a vehicle. Oh. Robert Simpson did. He had two different vehicles, not necessarily at the same time, but he had two, di- he had two different cars. I cannot ascertain that Calvin Bowman even had a vehicle, but it's highly possible that he borrowed one.
0: someone had to have like a four-wheel drive or a jeep uh, when they were if the if it's true well i mean someone had to have had a a four-wheel drive or a jeep because that's probably where her body is right
1: yes but if she was taken out of the park uh, brought back there could have been two different vehicles involved he did not have a jeep or four-wheel drive vehicle he had a uh, i believe a 1964 impala and he also had a a Pontiac convertible at one time as well. Robert Simpson did.
2: Okay, so not a not a vehicle that could have probably driven up to that area.
1: Robert Simpson was an outdoorsy kind of guy. He did like camping, hunting, and fishing. It's possible his parents had one. The students did did tell Mr. Gibson that they were they were followed to the to the park that day, and that he needed to tell the authorities, and they needed to look into that. And they claim it was, it was Calvin Bowman that, that followed them. But years have passed and some of the information I'm not privy to. I'm only privy to what's been released under the Freedom of Information Act. So if it's out there, a description of the vehicle, uh, I'm not privy to that information.